China says democracy comes in the form of uh, what we say to the people is accepted by the people. In turn, that is democracy by our definition. Uh, what they're basically trying to do is twist the definition of democracy to, to be the one that if you want to follow China, like you said, those African nations, uh, the countries that are developing uh, in the third, especially third world, third world countries, when they hear that, and especially if their system is, is something similar to China, like authoritarian based, one person, uh, one man on top, they're probably more likely to listen to what China says. Hello, everybody. I'm David Zhang, and I'm the host of China Insider on YouTube, and you can find me on Instagram as well. I am a political reporter focusing on China-related affairs, and you're watching Folks Alert. guest today is David Zhang, a reporter with the David Zhang, Inside China Report with David Zhang. Sir, how are you? I'm great, Kiko. Thanks so much for having me on today. Oh man, it's, it's not a problem. How's your day going? It's good. I'm having a, a horrible allergy season so far and lots of sneezing, a lot of pain in the eyes, but uh, everything else is going pretty normal. L listen, it's... um. It's that time of year, okay? I live in Florida, and we have got tons of allergies. I'm I'm a little bit under the weather too, but it's that time of year, yeah. sir. You know, so we yeah. Can't no, I appreciate yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, even among all this trouble, I think it's uh, we're in li living in a pretty crazy world right now, internationally, domestically. So again, appreciate you, Kiko. Not a problem. Listen. I am very interested in, in what you're doing, and here is why. When I hear China uh, and I hear most of the news or political unrest that's going on in, in Asia, in those Asian countries, I am a little bit, you know, I may know the gist of it, but like many people, I'm out of tap, right? Because the first thing I ask, how does that impact me? And it really right. doesn't, and but it really does. In many cases, it does in a very indirect way to be direct. And here is why you're here to help me unpack all of this. First, tell me this. How did you get started with this uh, insight inside China? Throughout my young, uh, until I was 11, I was I was in China. And uh, my father was actually the one that had left China first uh, in, in 2002. 
he went to Malaysia. And the reason why he was in Malaysia was because uh, he, so in 1999, um, China launched a persecution against a religious group called Falun Gong. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he had been doing the practice then. And so he was forced to basically flee or else he'd face jail time. So he left China. Uh, my mother and I were, uh, we followed suit in 2007. We went to Malaysia with him. And we, we then were granted the uh, refugee status to come to, to, to go to Canada. It was during the pandemic 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered, like many of us, too much time on our hands, sitting at home doing nothing. I was a teacher before. Uh, I, I decided to explore more online content. And I found everybody started following what was going on with the coronavirus, how, you know, the relationship with China then. Right. I still right. had hope that China was going was 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 basically a country that I should be I should look to kind of um, potentially contributing to one day. But but, you know, after hearing about what they did in Wuhan, uh, you know, locking the country down and then letting that kind of spread throughout the the, the world, um, I was like, I should probably do something that would help with exposing that. So um, I, I was reached out to I got an offer from New York to come here and be a reporter for, uh, first it was for NTD television and then for the Epoch Times. So let me get this straight. Mm. Your issue is their policy, right? The, the, the government the government policy that they've in, instituted with the people. That's that's the, the core of your, your issue with China. But overall, we all can say China is a great place. Um, manufacturing wise right uh but their policy the government policy i think you know i even see some people have issues with their social um their social right the civil rights issue policy Mm -hmm. so i think that's that's where you have an issue with right right uh the 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 problem with that is uh when when the government of china which is fundamentally controlled by the chinese communist party uh when they do these things to make the cities look great to make things look awesome to attract people basically right Mm -hmm. uh the the goal is to hide away now when a city looks great that's just one thing right but what happens in the city you know there's poverty there's a lack of jobs uh there's still a huge wealth gap in china all of these things they can hide it behind a beautiful mask. And I think that's that's what I understand is, you know, a lot of people think China's great. And I, I'd say, you know, I agree with you to the extent that uh, you have to kind of judge what do you mean by great? Is it great because it's beautiful or is it great because you think the policies that the, like you said, uh, Kiko, that the, the government has been doing is, is helpful to keeping China great, uh, which we can talk in more details on different fronts. But I think my judgment for where it stops being great is basically once you peel up, peel back the layer of that beauty, uh, the ugliness behind it is much greater. Uh, you know, I would say like 70 to 80 percent of where I kind of say, you know, it's actually not that great anymore. I think a lot of what is going on in China mm-hmm. is when the when that land was transferred back when was t- was transferred back from Japan, right? Mm. And, you know, you may agree, you may disagree, and you may have different views, but I think the land got into the wrong hands. 
mm-hmm. right? A- and had more thought was put into when they took that land from Japan, we might not be having half of the problems that we're having. And not to say, mm-hmm. you know, China didn't have their own problems within the, the national and the communist party. They were executing each other, right? Mm-hmm. According to mm-hmm. history. So my thing is, should we should we dial back and look at history? Maybe some some missteps was made when the, when that transfer happened. The UN played a role too. No, I I, I totally agree. I think uh, I don't think I would be sitting here today if China went another direction. Uh, I could be, you, you know, there were even talks of what happens if Japan did successfully take over China. You know, what what kind of a world would that be today, right? I sh- you know, today's history is basically built along that period, right? You have the civil, still today is the civil standoff between the nationalists and the CCP, but now in the form of China versus Taiwan. Uh, so I, I think that um, the history of China... If we, if we go back a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And as an outsider, I'm trying to get a better understanding of where the conflict came from and within china they had Mm -hmm. their own issues right we're talking one dynasty from another war within the within the government war between generals okay Mm -hmm. when japan made their missteps in world war ii against the united states because they didn't want the Mm -hmm. united states to to get involved in their pacific war all right when they lost Mm -hmm. taiwan was china yeah that is that is china that is china the un support for what we know as china today shifted at the un so taiwan got isolated so what i'm saying to you is why don't we go back and fix history or we're too we're too far far apart far gone you i think that what you're asking is something that um uh i think today people are uh, i'm talking more like you know the united states versus china on the position of taiwan uh what you're seeing today is the chinese communist party has basics basically uh well, what's the word i'm looking for they've they've gotten a hold of the un-based global system. Uh, so take a look at the recent um, votes on uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, right? Uh, because there were, China always talks about that they want a, the, this rules-based system uh, for, to, that would benefit China is based on the UN, you know, the World Trade Organization, the World Health Organization, uh, Interpol, all of these global organizations that are supposed to oversee international affairs in a fair and balanced way. Uh, China has more votes in these systems. The reason is they've, they have more friends around the world. Uh, many of these are African nations, Latin American nations, uh, some in Europe, uh, some in Asia. We, when we compare the sheer number of people that support China on the UN Council versus that that support the United States, the numbers for China is much higher. And so I think, to, uh, from my view, to answer your question, is we're too far among the 
systems that were put in place after World War II to force China to go back to the way it was. And the only other way that this can happen is if somehow China becomes a democracy. And that, I think, nobody knows how that's going to happen. I don't, I, don't, um, I, don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's uh, I think, yeah. I guess wish, I guess wishful thinking among us, right? Well, if you take a look at what happened the last time we tried to do this, right? The Nixon administration, uh, Henry Kissinger, he went and he basically said, well, the idea of, of how to make China not like uh, Soviet Russia at the time was that we give China enough economic incentives to essentially make their market open up. In turn, that's going to turn China into a democracy. It had worked for, you know, you know with Imperial Japan, it was used to be ruled by an emperor after mm -hmm. World War II. They rebuilt it into a market system. It worked in East Berlin after uh, a, you know, the Soviet Union collapsed. So the idea was that this type of model of making a country a democratic nation works as long as you turn their market into a free one. And so for the last 40, 50 years, that was the agenda uh, for China. It was to make them go from a communist socialist uh, government into one that has a free market. And so when money comes in, then, well, we will over time be able to turn China into a democracy. But then again, you saw in 1989, Tiananmen Square massacre, right? These students, they want to change, uh, but China did the opposite of change. They killed them instead. So that, that's your answer, right? That's my answer, basically. China will never voluntarily give up their authoritarianism, give up their concentration of power, give up what they hold to become a democracy. It's, but China is lightweight a democracy, right? Because the rest of the world, where they dial back some of their, their social political views and, you know, because the rest of the world recognizes them. So they're not looked upon as this, you know, communist nation, right? But so that's you know, one. I, I think that's no. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. Let me get your thoughts. They are a communist party state through and through. Uh, the, the reason is the structure of communism is that they have uh, the current leader, Xi Jinping, uh, Mao Zedong, they're very staunch believers of Karl Marx and Lenin. And, and, and they want the purest form of communism that is written in the books, you know, uh, the, the Communist Manifesto. They, they want that definition to happen in China today. So Mao did, you know, all these various political uh, campaigns, purges, uh, the Great Cultural Revolution. They they killed you know hundred plus million people in China because they want to achieve the form of communism that's written in the Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. Uh, the reason why they're not a so-called uh, you know what you said is a uh, light democracy is uh, simply there's no free rights of anything. There's no freedom of speech. There's no voting which is a very defining trait. There's no assembly representatives of the people. They do have one they say is the National People's Assembly. Let me, let me, make, let me make this argument to you. China, mm -hmm. is a, mm -hmm. chi China is a communist party or a communist country because of their political views. Now mm -hmm. we have, and they were standing alone with the exception of North Korea, right? 
mm-hmm. which is a hard line. Now China, which has been accepted around the world, people are doing business with them, other countries recognize them. They're using not military tactics, but social tactics in, a, in order to expand that view across the world with poor nations mm-hmm. that really yep. may not have the money. Uh, let's just say Africa, for example. Do you? I, I think that's kind of dangerous, but hey, listen, I'm not the political one here. You are. What's your views on that? It's very interesting. You're right. China does talk about democracy. In fact, they have, I think, 11 different forms of democracy that they say. The argument that they make is uh, our, de- our our definition of democracy is different than yours. So in that sense, Kiko, you're right. Uh, and that's, I think, the danger because, you know, you and I understand democracy or the the ideas of democracy is built on people's rights, people's you know, right to choose, right to vote, right to, if we talk the pure form of democracy, it's majority rules, right? Uh, But of course, here, the the United States is a constitutional republic. So there's the little differences. But the idea, the word democracy means that people have the say in things. Uh, China says democracy comes in the form of uh, what we say to the people is accepted by the people. In turn, that is democracy by our definition. Uh, what they're basically trying to do is twist the definition of democracy to, to be the one that if you want to follow China, like you said, those African nations, uh, the countries that are developing uh, in the third, especially third world, third world countries, when they hear that, and especially if their system is, is something similar to China, like authoritarian based, one person, uh, one man on top, they're probably more likely to listen to what China says because China, in fact, you're right, uh, this this happened yesterday. The foreign minister of China says China's modernization is a model that many countries can follow in that our system in 40 years time, we turned from a developing nation into the second largest economic power in the world. Look how long it took for the United States to become that. You know, it took two world wars it took hundreds of years for them to solidify their state. We did it in less, a fraction of that time, well, 40 well, years. That, that, was, uh, that, was, that was with a lot of fear though. <laughs> yeah, of course. They, they, were, they, were, <laughs> well, bending, they were bending risk and arm uh, and, and legs in order to get to that point. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the, they don't care how it's done, right? In both, ver- uh, both countries, you know, if we look at history, there's a lot of criticisms can be offered, you know, for what built the American industrial uh, system, you know, there's, there's the slavery, there's, you know, all of these things that that came with it. But then if we consider just present day, like today, as we speak, the United States is number one, uh, world economic power, uh, number two is China. But when they compare those two powers, and they say how long it took for them to get there, this one took hundreds of years, this one took 40 years. Aren't we the better version of democracy, the better version of industrialization, the better version of modernization compared to them, right? So what they're trying to do is basically undermine the Western version of development uh, and prop up their own. When other countries see what China is doing in the United States, starting with the spy balloon, that sends a very, you know, clear, indirect message that you know, we're making a play for something bigger. Am I right or wrong? 
you're absolutely right. And look at how many countries actually spoke up that uh, admitted that spy balloons were even that even existed, right? I can name maybe three, four. I think uh, Canada, obviously, because of NORAD, there's that you, the North American air, aerospace, like, well, you know, they're basically an extension of what the US was doing. So, you know, US, Canada, I think Japan, Taiwan, they found some, but they refused to admit it that, that these were spy balloons. Uh, that shows you that what you said is true. China basically used money, coercion, and, and military in some cases, but mostly money to uh, stop people from talking about and, or speaking out about what China was doing around the world. And, and this was, until recent years, this was the, the norm. Nobody would criticize China. I was, not a, uh, uh, I was scared to criticize China in a lot of its, its what they were doing, because what you were getting for a, a defense and an answer from other people was that China's doing pretty well economically, so you know, what's wrong with that, right? They were, like you said, they were sending poor countries money. They were building them bridges and roads, uh, airports. So what was wrong? Um, the spy balloon and the police station really showed us one thing, is that it, at some point, China can make you lose your sovereignty in your own country. Right. Uh, so one, one of the big example is in the um, Pacific Ocean and Latin America, very prominent in Latin America. In Venezuela, there is a, a plot of land. I can't remember how big. No Venezuelan nationals or the government can touch that piece of land. That land belongs to China. Uh, so can you imagine if a country, how, like how, how you that, own how this. That, how, how did that happen? They bought, they, they, they bought the land because of debt. Right, so so they they loan these uh, they loan money to these countries for the bridge and the road that you were talking about, but these loans are often very high interest rate, or they're in conditions that the country cannot fulfill. Like something like ten years, you have to pay back this amount of millions of dollars. The country is already in debt to begin with; they have no way of making money, and then China tax on this this huge interest uh, to that particular loan. It basically makes the country say, well, we can't pay it back. So what China does is they take that bridge that they built supposedly for the country and they say, okay, it becomes ours. So that goes with land, that goes with developments, uh, airports, railroads, things like that. So that piece of land in Venezuela is, uh, is owned by China. So they start owning your country. So what happens when you're the leader of you know, a, a small country in the Caribbean mm -hmm. and you wanna say that, oh, do I choose between Taiwan or China? The answer is 95% of the time it's gonna be China because they just have so much power over you. I don't. I don't think they want to, you know. And again, I don't think. I don't think either party, either side wants war. I don't think China wants no. war. I don't think the United States wants war. Because of the, you know. The damage it would do, and we're talking. Of course, we're talking yeah. two countries that's, they kind of have, they do a lot of trade between each other. Yeah, but yet they it, it's a tit for tat. They they have a the the biggest fear is the war goes nuclear, right? Everybody knows that that's nobody has has uh, it, there there hasn't been a conflict in modern time where two countries go together with enough nuclear power to level the entire world if they choose to. Uh, but I actually think this is precisely what they're doing to 
so the way I see it, right, the conflict in Ukraine, the reason why these European countries haven't put boots on the ground is because Putin precisely has nuclear uh, missiles. No and if he wants involved. to, he, nobody wants to get involved because then they put one in your city and, you know, how many people will die, right? And then the Chinese Communist Party knows that about America. They know that having studied what the uh, American reactions have been to war in recent years, Right. We saw this in the 60s with the Vietnam War. We saw the protests, right? anti-war protests. They understand that Western society, it's Western culture, civilizations um, have grown to cherish human lives. So here's very, it's, it's very interesting. Okay, so but when China I first came well, to Canada, so, right? what'd you say? No, they, <laughs> so, I'm glad you asked. So, so there's a really popular phrase that Chinese people used to describe themselves today. There's actually a few. The two famous ones is they call themselves leeks, like um, or chives is a better term. Like you know the chive that you use for cooking, they call themselves that. The reason is these chives are fast to grow, easy to cultivate. Uh, you can cut them year round, and they will grow back, right? So they, uh, the other term is mineral. So they call themselves mineral things that are you you can use and you can dig out of the ground. They don't see themselves as humans in China. They see themselves as cannon fodders, chives, and minerals that the government can use as resource for whatever their political needs. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this is involuntary, this is involuntary, right? They're, they just see that's their future in China by the government uh, to just, you know, whether they want them to go to war or be sacrificed for some economic problems or whatever it is, they they know that the outcome of their life is to be uh you know it, it's to be an expendable resource for the party tell me this what's your thoughts mm -hmm. on this the BRICS, the, the form of mm -hmm. china brazil south africa russia forming at, i think south saudi 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 arabia joined as well yeah they uh there was a big 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 problem with the whether the u.s dollar was going to be replaced by the yuan right you probably right. took notice of that too yes yes mm -hmm. i did what do you think you yeah. think uh I, I i don't so i did a whole video on this um the reason why isn't actually if the so i know there's a lot of problems with the united states and the u.s dollar right there's the potential for whether or not inflation. bitcoin can play a role yeah, inflation, you know, Bitcoin policies, right? If you don't like the Biden administration's policies, it might actually think that, you know, the, the U.S. dollar is going to collapse very soon. Uh, but data shows, you know, the U.S. as of it, it stands today, the U.S. dollar still accounts for like at least 55% to 60% of the global trade uh, currency exchanges. So the second currency that can match up to that is we could say it's yuan or euro is less it's no more than five to six percent for each of those currencies when you stack up all of these combined they still cannot cover how much the u.s dollar trades globally here's what i've observed with, with china mm -hmm. and this whole group that they form called the BRICS. yeah right i think mm -hmm. when you look at all these nations these BRICS nations they have communist traits all of them mm. yeah at some point in time they all had communist views yeah yeah and now they're you know joining forces they're coming together as a unit mm 
Yeah. I don't know how that's going to play out with the rest of the world. I I, I mean, it's you know, my observation, David. How does it No, you're out? you're <laughs> you're observing all the correct things. Because that's what's happening now is there's a um, what they're calling it's it's a it's a multipolar world, but really it's a bipolar world. It's the one where you so if the United States since world, the end of World War II, they've done something called the rules-based international system, right? The Biden administration talks about this a lot. They say that we have to uphold the rules-based international order. Now, these are things like human rights, trade, uh, how to do things, and it's be commonly agreed upon by many nations in uh, North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and so on. China, what they're doing now is rallying up these nations, like you said, that want to be closer to the communist form of government and center around China, including Russia, Brazil, uh, I'd say Iran, North Korea, Pakistan, maybe even the Saudis uh, or the, the countries in the Middle East, Africa. They want to create an alternative version of the world, the way things are being done to that of the one the U.S. is, is fronting. And that's the class that we're going to be seeing. And so you know people and use this fine. term, right? Mm. That's fine. Yeah. If well, that's what they want. That, that's totally fine. I, I say let them go ahead and, and do what they want to do. But here's the problem. You're going to have people in those countries that don't identify or, yeah. you know, uh, subscribe to that type of view. And you know what's going to happen? Yeah. They're going to they're gonna deflect like they've been deflecting. So what's going to happen? Yeah. Who are you going to govern? Yeah. You're going to govern yourself? Yeah, I mean... Because they're selling, okay, they have this bricks, but who... Okay, you sell between amongst yourself. All right, but what about mm -hmm. the rest of the world that don't want to buy your product? Yeah. No, that's you that's see, the reality. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. That That's the that's what's eventually going to happen. But what's keeping everything intact right now is the relationship with China. Manufacturers, right? You're buying things from China. You're still buying a lot, but uh, what the U.S. is doing is reshoring. So they're moving things to India, to Vietnam, to countries outside of China. I think you'll see much less reliance on China. Mm -hmm. We saw what happened in COVID, right? You couldn't even buy toilet paper. Right. Uh, that, that, could, that could never happen again because the next time it happens, the one that suffers more is just going to be the, the U.S. or whoever else is attached to China. Uh, so, you know, Europe is calling for something called strategic, uh, I think they're called strategic delinking or strategic uh, or just delinking in general. I think that's the term they used. It's basically the same thing to selectively, selectively decouple from China so that the core things that they need to survive aren't linked with China. Just did a report yesterday about how more and more people are showing up, Chinese people are showing up at the southern border. They're processing, I think, 2,000 Chinese nationals a, a month now. How are up they getting to, here? From That's a, what I want to know. How are they getting here? They, they, so they did, uh, uh, to keep things short, they, they would fly first to Turkey. From Turkey, they would fly to Ecuador, which is the only country in Latin America that doesn't require a visa for Chinese nationals. From there, they would make the journey uh, paying smugglers to go into Colombia. From Colombia, they have to walk through the Darien Gap, which is this little part of the Panama, I don't know if it's part of the Panama Canal or before that. Yeah, they they walk uh, on foot through that for a few days, then they go up to, uh, you know, all the way making it up to Mexico. From there, they have to rent a bus or a car and take them to the border. 
uh, and then I think it's in Monterey or in from anywhere, basically near the border. And then you go into uh, you on foot again to the border and where the if you get arrested by the border agent, you can apply for asylum. Uh, I think 55 or 56 percent of Chinese nationals are being processed compared to other Latin American uh, migrants. And one thing before mm -hmm. you go, I want to talk to you about. There is a lot that we can't see that's going on in China. And I was looking at the GDP from China. How is it possible mm -hmm. that the GDP stays from 2012 to 2022 the same? It's impossible. It's, am I, am it's I, all I, fake. I looked at the numbers. It's impossible for it to be the same numbers. I mean, fluctuated between 2, 3, 4 percent. But come on, man. There's something. Someone's fixing the fight, right? Yeah, uh, to tell you the truth, the local officials GDP is gathered around all these uh, all the different provinces, right? It can't Twenty-two be that provinces. Similar, Dave. It can't. They, it's they, impossible. they. We understand GDP as an output number, right? How much things were being done, produced, spent, right? We understand that. China sees GDP as an input number. They have to. They set a target. They're going to hit five percent GDP this year. All the officials in those local governments better put numbers when they report it back that would match up to that 5% GDP. Otherwise, you know, they're, they're not getting that promotion. They're not getting the bonuses. They're not getting the recognition. So everything is a fake facade. I'd say if you look at a GDP number from China, you uh -huh. take out 3-4%. Uh, that's probably closer to what the actual GDP is. Because I remember during the pandemic 2021 or 2022, they had like a 0.4% growth that was they had a negative growth they were they were they were not growing they were going back but they weren't telling us they were still telling us a positive number so so no nothing's real in china these numbers are artificially inflated it, it's a horrible thing to lie to people but i mean they're doing it every day so well, i mean they can because if this if that's what they want to do also what's not been talked about a lot china's about to lose they're, they're, they're declining in population. India's going to take yeah. the lead on that. Why, why aren't we hearing yeah. about that? Because once you, once you lose that title, you have an aging population. You have millions of people who can't find jobs. Uh -huh. You have a whole class of people called low-skilled workers. They're seen as the bottom tier of the society, like construction, uh, uneducated uh, farmers, and things like that. Those people are out of job. The delivery drivers in one province have been so saturated to the point where they're no longer hiring. Mm -hmm. uh, here, I can't. Sometimes I can't even find an Uber delivery for like twenty minutes. The too many people, not enough jobs. Even when they have jobs, their population is aging, so they don't they don't have the skilled workers to go and afford those jobs. Gotcha. And like you said, why would you stay in China if you're a doctor or a, a, a professor of some sort when you can go to America, get that freedom, stay there? You know, still be contributing to your science or whatever right. area, and but you know, in a free world, right? That's I think that's a big problem. The outflow of resources is real in China too. Outflow of cash, um, but I, I think that's a whole other you know one hour conversation we can have. So I'll keep it no, short it's, there. It's nothing, man. It's nothing. Listen, I enjoy the conversation. I'd love for you to come back uh, whenever you want. You know, we can ha do this. You know, I I love it. Uh, but before you go. What, what's next for you, right? You just recently got married. Talk to me about that. Mm -hmm. uh, how is that going? How, how, how is marriage life? It's great. I, I'm, I believe in that was a, a family. That wasn't was the answer I was looking for because I'm not married. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, no. I, I, I look forward. I, I, I've been looking forward to getting settled for, for, for my life. I don't know how it goes. I believe that we have a very healthy relationship. Cool. Uh, my wife and I. Uh, but uh, you know, this, this, it helps me stabilize. Right. I'm no longer having to go and look for somebody while doing this. And I think now I can focus more on this. So my next step to answer you, Kiko, is just continue what I'm doing. Maybe we'll see the day where we, I, I will be in China or I can invite you to China to come eat and travel with us and see. I mean, I would love to. Do, I haven't seen all of China yet either. So I hope that day comes. Until then, I'll be staying here and doing the same thing. You know, just telling stories using the information that I have. Hey, hey, I have to come to New York to do an interview. Yeah. Right. So yeah, let's, let's do that. To, yeah. We're going to have to walk around Chinatown and sample the food or something when I come. Yes, of you course. Know. But listen, yeah, of course. Dave, David mm -hmm. Zhang, listen, it was a pleasure having you here. You're more than welcome to come back anytime. Look David Zhang up, YouTube, Instagram, Inside the China uh, with David Zhang. Sir, it was a pleasure having you here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kiko. All right, take care.